The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. In order to support our show, we need the help of some great advertisers. And we want to make sure those advertisers are ones that you'll actually want to hear about. But we need to learn a little bit more about you to make that possible. So go to podsurvey.com slash Florio and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you better. That way, we can bring on advertisers you won't want to skip. Once you've completed the quick survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's podsurvey.com slash Florio, F-L-O-R-I-O. Thanks for your help. There are the odds for the number one overall pick in the draft. It had been Bryce Young. It flipped to C.J. Stroud after the Panthers made the move from number nine to number one. Actually, Stroud was third behind Young and Anthony Richardson before that trade happened. So Stroud still there at minus 350 uh, as the favorite to be the first overall pick in the draft. Let's start with that first pick, the Panthers. Again, they made the trade up several weeks ago. There has been some smoke recently, and I saw something in Peter King's column yesterday, Football Morning in America, which you can see exclusively at ProFootballTalk.com, that maybe Bryce Young is creeping onto the radar screen for the Carolina Panthers. A lot of people in the organization like Bryce Young. It comes down to who the owner likes. And Peter and I have argued about this, and I respect his opinion on everything, but I think he grossly underestimates the power of the owner, and the owner doesn't have to mandate anything to anyone. Because I think at one point he said, well, the owner's never going to say you must do this. No, that's the point. That's the benefit of being the owner. You don't have to say that. The people who work for you know that they better listen. And you see David Tepper there at all these pro day workouts. David Tepper's on the road for all these visits. David Tepper's involved. At some point, his preference is going to come out of his mouth. In some way, it will manifest itself, what he likes and what he wants. And you can have a situation where you have some who want to go one way, some who want to go the other. Which camp is David Tepper in? That's going to be key before that final decision is made at number one, Chris. Yeah, no, it, it is. Of course, he's going to have a say in this for sure. Now, listen, there, there's definitely, you know, your, your point's not wrong. You know, the owner, if he really makes it clear that he's going to want that guy or whatever, yeah, they're going to lean that way. But there are plenty of stories of hey, the owner comes in and says this, and it's like way far off from where the organization wants, or, you know, the front office wants to go, and they can talk the owner off the ledge a little bit too. No, I'm just giving both sides of the story there. It would be interesting. We know no, Tepper. No, you're right. No, I'm not, you know, uh, right. no I know. Uh, you know, so Tepper's I, very involved. But you better though, be right. He's thirsty. If, right. if you talk, let me say this. Yeah. If you talk the owner off the ledge, That's right. you better be right about the guy you took because you're setting yourself up for years of I told you so right. if the owner ends up being right. Yeah, right. You're right. Well, yeah, I told you so as he's firing you. I told you so. See you later. Exactly. The next guy's coming in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, uh, this is going to be – I would think, again, this is C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young. They're by two – the two safest picks for sure, the two most ready-to-go NFL pocket passing quarterbacks in this draft they're ready right and then again then it just break it down into yeah what what do you like what don't you like and then this is the Bryce Young this is where the size thing comes into play a little bit I mean watching him listen he's got some plays and some releases and things where you just go wow I mean his feet his ability to make people miss is wow you know but what I say sometimes too Mike and what I say to that a little is you know 
some of those plays where I go, wow, I go, well, yeah, there's no defensive lineman within seven yards of him. And now he gets to see the guy come at him after he's been sitting there for four or five seconds. And then he makes a move. There was a lot of plays where I go, I don't know if that's realistic in the NFL. He's, I don't know if that's going to happen. That's kind of what, you know, you know, and then CJ Stroud, on the other hand, is more the traditional guy that way and more of what I would think Frank Reich would want a quarterback. But again, Bryce Young's special. It's 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 a not a great arm, but it's a good arm. But it's it's great in a lot of other areas as far as decision making, feel, quick releases, different releases, having a feel for the game, all of that. That's where Bryce Young is very special. And I don't know how at the end of the day you ever begin to make that final decision when you've got different factors. Yes. Yeah. The reality is the, the the biggest unknown is what happens when this guy is playing in the NFL. I, I, the best example I can remember is Deshaun Watson coming out of Clemson yeah. in 2017. Right. There were concerns about his interceptions. And, oh, the, the, the window is going to be even tighter at the next level. And if you're throwing a bunch of interceptions in college, it's going to be harder for you to thread the needle at the NFL level. But you know what? As the target shrunk, he got more accurate. Yeah, he did. You know, the bigger the target, right. you got a little more play. Target smaller, you got to thread the needle. And he did. You don't know that until the guy gets there. You don't know how that guy moves in relation to other NFL talent, the way Patrick Mahomes can stay just a step ahead of the guys who are chasing him. You don't know that right. until you drop him into that level of competition and see what he does. Every level of football, you hear it all the time. Oh, it's so much faster. It's so much faster. And that's the truth of the NFL. It's faster. It's bigger. It's stronger than college. And you either meet the moment or you don't. And there's no way to simulate it. There's no way to predict it. You just have to throw them in there yeah. and see what happens. Right. And that that's why the draft is ultimately crap you for all the time and the effort and the money that's spent. You just don't know. Yeah. And the chances are, chances are, one of these guys between Stroud and Young are going to figure it out, and the other one isn't. And somebody's going to get the guy who's the Peyton Manning, and somebody's going to get the guy who's the Ryan Leaf. There's a chance that's going to happen. Now, they both could be great. They both could be great. But there, there is a chance that one isn't going to be great, and there's a chance that both aren't going to be great. Just like Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold, number one and number three from five years ago. Yeah. We just won't know right. until we see them try to thrive and either succeed or fail at the NFL level. No, you're right. It's a different game. It is. It's totally different. The NFL is defenses are more complex, like you talked about. The playing field's more even. You know, it's it's grown men who, yeah, there's no like we talk about all the time. There's no you know NCAA twenty hour rule. I don't kind of go to classes. It's football class all day long. Guys aren't out of position very often, right? So, you know, that's where I lean back into C.J. Stroud because I go, I'm just going to trust, you know, one, what I see and what my thought is projecting to the NFL in a close race like this. And I just don't I don't know if I could live myself with the smaller quarterback, especially if he got hurt, where I'm just going to go, oh, my gosh, of course he got hurt. What was I thinking, you know? That's going to be one of those, too, that, that could happen, too. You draft him, and he gets hurt, and you go, well, well, of course he got hurt. He's 185 pounds, and he's playing quarterback in the NFL. And that, you know, another thing that bothered me about his film, as quick and as awesome he is, but when he does get stuck in a spot where he's got to throw and then he gets hit as he's throwing, man, it's, it's violent. I mean, he, he can fly through the air. He can get hit like you go, oh, my gosh, that was a Mack truck, and it wasn't even that aggressive of a shot. Those are the things that scare me a little bit about him. But, man, he's a natural at the position. They both are. Stroud has to work on playing backyard football a little bit. But as far as throwing in the pocket and making big-time throws with people around him, Mike, he's as good as it gets in that department. But he needs that backyard element a little bit more like we talked about. Bryce Young, it's almost the exact vice versa. And it's going to just, yeah, Carolina is close. They're going to be, it's going to be nitpicky. I'm sure it's going to drive them crazy here a little bit the next few weeks. I think that 185 is even more concerning than the 510 or whatever he weighs. We know it's not 204 right. as his playing weight because he weighed in at the combine and didn't work out. And then when he did work out his pro day, he didn't weigh in. So he weighs something less than 200 pounds. And, and we look at, and again, this is where ownership becomes a factor. What are the current trends in the NFL? What are the, what are the things that become issues for teams? And it's Tua. Look at what the Dolphins went through last year with Tua's concussions. For an owner of a football operation, a multi-billion dollar organization that saw 
what the Dolphins were dragged down by last year constantly. It was national news. Every time Tua had a concussion, it was a big deal. Do I want our team to be in the middle of that? Now, some owners do. Some owners like Jerry Jones view any publicity as good publicity. But some owners may not want that, and they may not want to have that risk. We're going to use this pick we traded up to get, and we're going to take the risk here of having a guy who could end up just like Tua. And, you know, is that a fair comparison? It's two different players altogether, but those comparisons get made all the time. Yeah, exactly. And, again, it comes back to I told this you guy's so. smaller. It's like the OBJ right. risk. Yeah. Hey, the guy's had two torn ACLs. We, we signed him and he gets a torn ACL. We can't say we didn't know the risk. And yeah. so this guy's small. Like you said, he's smaller than Tua, and that's just part of what you have to factor in. If it was a year ago, it's not an issue. This year, it's an issue, and I just think that's another factor that whoever takes him, and we assume he's going to go no lower than two. We I assume know. it's going to be well, Stroud, Young, or Young, Stroud. Right. But either way, that's part of the risk. No, you're right. And, you know, Mike, and that's another part of the conversation I wanted to hit on, too. You know, on, on number two, right? Right? This is just, again, this is just food for thought. My knowledge, my thoughts, the people I know in the NFL. But let's just say C.J. Stroud goes one. You know, yeah, we all take for granted that Bryce Young's going number two to Houston Texans. You know, it, it, I, I guess so. I just, I guess there's a part of me that I just want to throw a you know, caution to the wind a little bit. Like Nick Casario, when I was working in New England and he was there, and you heard me ask Josh McDaniels this when we were at the Combine, right? I mean, quarterback like Bryce Young would not even be on the radar 10 years ago in New England. They would have gone, nope, we, he does not meet our measurable satisfactions in a bunch of areas. He's off the board for us. You know, now I know the game is adjusted. We know that. But, you know, as we've talked about, there's still a baseline of teams out there that are like, ah, I would never do the small quarterback thing. I'm like that. If I was involved in a team, I, I just wouldn't I would err on the bigger guy in that department. But I do wonder, you know, and again, when you have a pick at number twelve, you know, you could do something else at two, draft Jalen Carter, draft a, an edge pass rusher or whatever, and then at twelve Maybe trade up and get somebody else, too. I feel like that scenario has not been thrown out there, and it's just something I think about. And, again, I don't know how much Nick Casario's thoughts have changed in that department, but I know that I used to have a scouting sheet that used to have the checklist for each position. And the one that was for quarterback, Bryce Young wouldn't check off any of them. So that's where I do just wonder those possibilities. Just throwing it out there, Mike. I don't know that. I'm just throwing you're talking it out. about yeah. You're talking about the Casario scouting sheet. Right. Right. Yeah. From New yeah. England. I don't know what his specific yeah. scouting sheet is, but the one in New England and he was the de facto GM at the time. He didn't have the exact, you know, title there. Uh, yeah, that's what he had. I mean, that that's was was part of the, the whole thing here. So see, this is where he's awesome, Mike. You see there moving makes a throw with awkward feet. It's all great there. It really is, you know, but it's not going to be like a ton of pop on the ball. It's not going to be like, oh wow, he powered that one in there in a tight window. You know, this is—he's a rhythm timing thrower, uh, which is another thing that, again that a lot of people like, but I don't like as much. I, you know, rhythm and timing, yeah, you need it, but I'm a little bit more of a bullseye, get it in there type of thrower. Let me make sure I understand what you're suggesting, though. You're suggesting the Texans could go with a different position at two, yeah, swing back around right. later. And either address quarterback at 12 or move up into the top 10 if the guy they like is trickling through and they could maybe That's, be a Hendon Hooker, I just right. be a, a Will, Will Levis, Levis exactly. Someone other than the three that we assume right. we're going to go one, two, three. Right. Right. I'm just throwing that out there. Again, it's just a thought. And again, it's a thought that's based on a little bit of, yeah, history and knowledge of, you know, again, who didn't, who didn't, who didn't Nick Casario draft a few years ago? Davis Mills, pocket passing, big quarterback, right? You know, that's really, you know, they're from New England. It's Tom Brady. It's Phil Sims. It's Drew Bledsoe. It's Vinny Testaverde. It's, it's that kind of guy that they've always looked at there. Uh, so that's just, it, it has gone through my brain a little bit, just as far as thinking about that a little. Let me offer you a curveball then. Yeah. Because this is fascinating. I mean, we're going to skip over number three for now. We've already talked about what could happen by way of trade and Anthony Richardson move for someone to make outside of the top 10, possibly. What if? What if? Because remember when Shane Steichen was introduced as the new coach of the Colts? Jim Irsay couldn't help himself. He blurted out how much he likes the Alabama quarterback. Right. Okay, so. If your assessment 
as the Texans, as Nick Casario is, Bryce Young is not the guy that you want to build a team around. We don't want to build a team around him. The Colts seem like they do, and we play him twice a year. And if we're right about Bryce Young, they're wrong about Bryce Young. And, yeah, we'd really rather not do a trade in our own division, but it's kind of like rolling a Trojan horse up to the gates if you believe Bryce Young is not really going to be as good as number two in the draft would suggest. Yeah. And that this screws up the Colts and sets them back, and he's going to struggle, and he's not big enough. Would you do a 2-4 trade with the Colts if you could pick up their first-round pick next year, going down just two spots, Yeah, and still get you know, a pretty good player at number four. I think I would. I, I hadn't thought of that yeah. until you said that. Yeah. But, man, that would be intriguing. That's the kind of stuff we need to happen. Hey, Chris Ballard. Hey, Nick Casario. Get on the phone and make that happen. So we <laughs> yeah, have something seriously. to talk about later this week. <laughs> that would be something to talk about. I, I, you know, it, it's not a crazy scenario. It's not. And especially like we're talking about, the Texans don't really look as Bryce Young as their type of guy. They go, okay, hey, we'll go to number four. And, you know, one of the guys that's our type will be there. So, you know, that, that would, would be interesting, certainly. You know, and again, this is not knowledge, knowledge or, and, you know, I should say, like, I'm not hearing this or whatever, but just knowing people and, you know, being around the league for as long as I have been, I just, that's, those are the things I'm thinking about right now as I, you know, go through the draft process and got to get ready for my own damn mock drafts and all of that stuff. So, yeah, there's that scenario. And then, yeah, the 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 caveat of number three of the Cardinals sitting there where we all think they want to go defense, but they're probably going to be open for business and going, hey, anybody want any of these quarterbacks? Come up here to number three. We're open. We're open. We're open. And that's going to make, you know, very interesting here, top four picks as well. So if the Cardinals use the pick at number three, if they don't trade it, yeah. And they're going to be in a position where they basically have the first pick in the draft because they're not looking quarterback. They've got Kyler Murray. Where do you think they are looking if they use the pick and don't swap out of that spot? I do think it's D for sure. I, a defense for sure. I, you look at them, and the number one thing that you look at that's just glaring about them is you go, they don't have a pass rusher. They don't have one guy that you go, hey, there's five minutes left in the fourth quarter and the other team's dropping back to threat pass and we're in a tight football game or whatever or we're winning by seven. We need somebody to close the game out here. You know, th- that, that's where I would, I would imagine they're, they're thinking, you know, whether that's the you know, Will Anderson from Alabama, you know, whether it's the Tyree Wilson from Texas Tech, certainly. You know, I know the DB that is my number one corner and a lot of people's number one corner, Devin Witherspoon, he's been thrown into that conversation, the number three. You know, but I would expect more D-line, Mike. I would think it's one of those, and maybe even Jalen Carter. I think D-line in general is a need, you know, for the Arizona Cardinals. Um, yeah, they just have so many needs. Yeah, they I do. Just, they again, I preface the question by saying if they make the pick. But, boy, I'd be tempted to trade out of that spot just to get more lottery tickets, get more players at a low cost, develop them, hope we can get some of these right with Monty Austin for the new GM. Right. And and just get volume, 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 and don't put all your eggs in one basket with that third pick in the draft. But it would be tempting because you basically have, as I said, the first pick. But, but you could get a lot more. And we always – look, te- teams at the top are always looking to trade down. The challenge is finding somebody who is willing to abandon the draft capital to move up. We've yeah. seen it this year with the Panthers. We've seen it from time to time in recent years. But it always seems like there's more teams, Chris, that want to move down than there are who want to move up. It and does. Nobody ever wants to be criticized for not taking enough to move down. Yeah, no, agreed. It, it does always seem that way. And then, you know, Monty Ford being from New England, and, and gosh, he was sitting in the room all those years where – Belichick was the king of trading down too, and I would, you know, to your point again, there I, I would think that would certainly be on the radar for a team like that. Like you said, there's a lot of holes there, and that's a a man, a human being, and Monty that I know is trust his process to think he's going to find value in later picks, and so that that certainly is on the radar. Mike Arizona is one in there. You just go anything can happen for them right there at that pick number three. I don't know what to expect, but if they stay, I do think it'll be defense a hundred percent, and I would expect it to be front seven on defense for sure. The Colts become fascinating if they see quarterback, quarterback, quarterback go one, two, three, and they don't want 
to use the fourth overall pick on their fourth quarterback if their top three guys are gone. That's when the Lamar Jackson scenario comes into play. And in theory, in theory, although I think it would t- – well, look, it's, it's a stupid theory. Sometimes the theory makes sense. Sometimes it doesn't. In theory, that would be the point where you trade with the Ravens and give them the fourth overall pick. But you still have to have Lamar Jackson under contract or it doesn't work. So that's not going to work. But my point is this. Maybe that's where the Colts go in a different direction and then make a run at Lamar Jackson after the draft. Mm. If they see mm. their top three quarterbacks go, right. they don't think their fourth guy merits that spot. The other thing to do is they could trade down yeah. and take their fourth quarterback later. Right. They could run that game right. and take that risk that that guy won't be there. Four is too high for this guy. We can move down. Somebody can come up and, be, and get the first non-quarterback in the draft. Good, right. And we can get right. Will Levis, Hendon Hook, or whoever later in the round. There's risk there, but we've seen teams do that. Sometimes it pays off. When it doesn't, you don't find out about it. That's something the Colts could do. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, and, and the Colts are interesting in, in the Shane Steichen fact, too, of you know, what, what, what are they looking for? You know, are they looking for Justin Herbert and like a Will Levis type of guy, right? Like we're all big throw bombs down the field and do all that where Shane Steichen had that with the Chargers? Or are they looking for a Jalen Hurtsy type of guy, right? Where they, where their eye is their eye on Richardson. You know, and if he is gone, then yeah, the scenario opens up like like you talk about. But then yeah, you trade down, right? And there's no guy like Richardson left. But Hendon Hooker, again, you know, we've talked about he can move. He can play. Levis is athletic. I think he's raw. He's got some stuff to work on. And then the other guy I'm going to throw out there just for late first round, early second round thoughts that I think deserves to be is, is Dorian Thompson Robinson. You know, it's, it's another guy that I think is, you know, he's the quiet guy that I could see teams going, oh, we'll wait to the second round, early second round to maybe get him or whatever. Um, but, but yeah, they have some, some, some options there, but they're definitely an interesting spot. Like you said, if it goes one, two, three quarterback and the quarterback they wanted is off the board, what the hell do they do? The Seahawks at five have been trying to sell the idea that they're in on the quarterback conversation. They signed Geno Smith to a new deal, but when you look at it, they could get out of it after only one year if they wanted to. I just don't think as you and I have agreed in the past. They've exited a reality where it was all about the quarterback. Yeah. The last thing they want to do is undermine Geno Smith with a guy that if you take him at five, if you take him at five, you can't avoid the conversation. Exactly. Of when is he going to play? When right. is he going to be ready? It's all about him. It's all about him. It's all about him. They've had enough of that. I'll be stunned if they take a quarterback at five, in part because all the best ones may be gone by then. The best of the best. Maybe at 20, they would take one. But even then, I just I don't think that's where the Seahawks should be right now. I think they're putting that out there just to send a message to the Falcons at eight, the Raiders at seven, or anyone else who may be thinking quarterback not in the top ten. Yeah. Here's a spot where you can come get your quarterback, and especially for the teams at seven and eight. Don't trade up to six with the Lions. Don't be calling them. You should be calling us because we may take a quarterback here and take that guy that you would pick. I think that's what that's all been about. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with you there. I don't. There, again, I think another team where you know you look at three, four, and five where I go, those are three GMs that I, I don't think would be mad about taking more picks if, that, if somebody came up and you know, was open for business that way. Uh, but the Seahawks, you know, if they do sit there at five, yeah, I don't expect it to be quarterback. You explained it right. We had this conversation last week. They, you said it right. They don't want to deal with, oh, the quarterback's the king again, and we got to deal with all that crap. They're going to build a team, and Gina was awesome last year, so why abandon that ship? So now you look at them, and it, I, I think they're another team, Mike, like we talked with Arizona, that I expect defense to be you know, the, the guy on the, the card here when it's all said and done, whether it, it's who's ever left over. That's why I said Jalen Carter before. I mean, I, he certainly could be a guy that is on their radar and makes sense, especially for their defensive scheme they play now. They're not playing the Seattle scheme. Or who's ever left over from the pass rushers. If the Cardinals took Will Anderson from Alabama, well, maybe this is where the Texas Tech kid comes involved here. So, But I would think it's there. They're a team that we've talked about a lot over the last year or two to go, who makes a play for them on the defensive line in big moments? Who is ever going to be that guy? And they don't really have that guy. They got Draymond Jones in free agency, uh, right? Draymond Jones. Uh, yeah, Draymond Jones. But 
Uh, yeah, they need more there in that department. The ceiling and the floor are the two key factors for a draft pick, and the floor for Jalen Carter presumably is 10. Yeah. Where is his ceiling? Is five where the window opens on Jalen Carter? Do you see him going before five? I think three could be a possibility. I do. You know, I, I don't look at anything in Arizona for them to sit there and, you know, for me to sit there and go, whoa, well, yeah, they're good there. And guess who they just – they got a Jonathan Gannon who just coached the defense with the biggest set of asses in the history of football. They all got, I mean, gigantic legs and ass. So I would think he'd be all for – he just drafted Jordan Davis last year and went, man, look at that big ass and that how awesome that is. Whoa, Jalen Carter looks like that. Let me think about him too. So I think that's not a crazy possibility at all. Yeah, when Chris says biggest set of asses, he does not mean collection of undesirable personalities. He literally means the largest butts yes. in football, and that's what it's about if you're going to try, especially if teams are going to be doing the quarterback push play. It's now incumbent <laughs> right, right. on having even bigger legs and butts on your interior defensive lineman so you can push back on Well, the he's got to deal right. with the 49ers. He's got to deal with the Seahawks and Kenneth Walker, and you know Pete Carroll's going to run the ball and all that. You know, I would think, and again, he's a defensive coach. You'd think he'd want to get his defense to look good, right? Right off the bat. Hey, this is why you hired me. I, I've changed this part around, and we're one of the top defenses in football. You know, that's where I do think about that, too. It's the, the politics and the posturing of making the new head coach look good, too, that the head coach wants that I think could go into that conversation as well. Next up at six are the Lions with mm. the Rams pick. This is the last of the... Matthew Stafford, Jared Goff, hot potato trade. The sixth pick because the Rams were so bad last year. They also had the 18th pick. Fascinating spot. Yes. You, you know, you, you, I think, I don't, you know, again, the, the, all, we love talking about quarterbacks and we don't know how long Jared Goff's going to be the guy, but six I think is too low for them to get a top flight guy. They can go a lot of different directions. This feels like a luxury pick for them. Number one, it's an extra selection. And number two, they where is the most glaring need that you absolutely have to use that sixth pick to fill? They could almost trade down no, they if did they a, wanted to out of that sixth spot. They could. They're 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 you know, they did a good job in free agency. You know. This is you know, the O line's good, but D line again here is another one where you can get into that conversation again. You know, what, hey, pass rushers, you can never have enough of them to go with Aiden Hutchinson or whatever, or if a Jalen Carter's on the board there. But we also know their secondary sucked last year. Sorry for the language. Sorry, England. All right? But that's not, that's nothing can be. Okay, good. All right. But yeah, they, I mean, they were horrible. And that's why they, hey, went out and signed Cameron Sutton, right? They signed Emmanuel Mosey. They signed Car- Chauncey Gardner Johnson. Uh, so, like, if it weren't for them, I'd go, this might be prime spot for my man crush, Devin Witherspoon from Illinois, my kamikaze corner who can play on an island and bite kneecaps off and do all of that. I could see that being the case, but I do feel like it's D-line or cornerback, Mike. I don't know if they'd go tight end. I don't think so. There is one tight end that's probably worthy of that pick and the kid from Utah, but those would be that would be my assessment so far, Mike, and I'm not done with the draft process yet, as you know, but I'm, I'm working my way through it here. Devin Witherspoon is fascinating there, too, because yeah. when you think of the fact that you got to deal with Justin Jefferson twice per year, right. and we saw how physical the Giants got with him in the postseason game, and I don't know that it matters. I don't know that it phases him, but but they were able to neutralize him by having three bodies on him. Maybe if you have one guy who's rough and tumble who can just you – know, and again, you're not going to stop him from catching passes, but if you if you apply clean legal contact to him in the process, then then maybe that gives you an edge. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, he, some he, guys you just can't yeah. cover. But, but uh, you know, we were talking about it yesterday. The guy, you know, I'm, was it him we were talking about, 50-50 balls being 90-10 with anyone else, or was it another one of them? I can't remember. But the point is, you got to ultimately tackle the guy if he has the football, and Devin Witherspoon has proven to be a guy who's definitely make those tackles. And he does fit with the Dan Campbell mindset. That's right. the other thing, too. Right. You've got Chris Spielman there. You've got Dan Campbell. They're going to be drawn to guys who would play the game the way they did, and Witherspoon falls into that category. Yes, he definitely does. Mike, I want – it's really like – it's one of those where you don't need to go into deep study here, but at some point maybe while you're eating your breakfast after the show, 
Just go watch highlights of Devin Witherspoon. Go, you, 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 you don't need to dive deep in. You're going to see like five or six play and go, holy crap. Is, is that real? Did he really throw his body around like that? Can he really run like that? Is he that like twitchy and accelerate? You know, it, it's a fun watch. It's why he's my new man crush in the world. And like you said, there is a personality vibe there that makes a lot of sense to where you could connect dots and go, yeah, he fits into that culture for sure. He's ready to fight at an instant anytime you want him. Um, but I would think that yeah, defense would be still the main thing. It was a top five offense, right? The defense was the issue all year, and I would think that's where they address if they stay at, at number six. The Raiders have made no bones at number seven about their interest in quarterbacks, but they also are doing their best to temper expectations. This is not a quick fix. And when you're in the AFC West and you're quite possibly the, well, I don't know who the fourth team is right now, but they've got Sean Payton in Denver, and I think the Broncos are going to be better than they were last year, and their final record wasn't horrible. It wasn't as horrible as the vibe. It was just far less than it was expected to be. You got the Chiefs, you got the Chargers. They really are, I think, trying to build and I think that's, you know, that, look, that's conducive to a trade down because, again, more picks, more lottery tickets, more players who become the nucleus of your team going forward. But I have no idea what the Raiders are going to do because I just don't think unless they trade up and they're a team that's been mentioned as a possible trade up to number three, unless they trade up, I don't know who's going to be there that provides them with that immediate boost they need. No, I, I, I mean, I, I hear you there. You know, they have a lot of options. And again, there are another team. Yeah, just knowing that New Englandish vibe that I would think, yeah, players trust in their process and their scouting department and how they, you know, build their list that they're going to find value as far as their more picks they go. But you know, they could go the quarterback thing, like you said, I think is still on the board. You know, how do they feel about Jimmy Garoppolo? Do they think it's really a long-term thing? Do they want to pull the trigger and kind of develop a guy and have him sit a year behind Garoppolo? I don't think it's a crazy thought with the Raiders. I don't. So I can see Josh McDaniels doing that. And then you get into, they're another team you can look at and go, hey, corner's a real issue there. Whether it's a Devon Weatherspoon, maybe Christian Gonzalez from Oregon, right, is another guy that's kind of viewed in that territory as a top 15 type talent in the NFL draft. That makes sense. You know, O-line, I never put them out of the conversation for that too. So uh, they have a lot of ways they can go. They're a hard team to get a feel for here. They got a, a few holes. They got the quarterback thing, you know, and a few positions, especially on defense that you look at to go, they need to upgrade there. Um, so it, it's, it's, they're, they're another team. I, I don't know what to expect, and I'm sure is looking for a trade down partner. Falcons at number eight, they're quietly putting together a team that could contend in a bad division, the NFC South. They've been 7-10 the last two years. We have a different view of them, like they're not as good as they've been. They're better than they've been, and they have a chance to be even better than that. Linked to quarterbacks, even though they claim they're all in with Desmond Ritter, that may be the smokescreen. What do you think they do when they're on the clock? And again, what happens with the first seven is going to complicate everything. The deeper you get in the top ten, the harder it is because you have to see how it plays out ahead of you. But where do you think they should be looking when they're finally on the clock, assuming they stay put? I, I mean, uh, like, like we kind of talked about with the Seahawks and the Cardinals a little, like the first thing I think of is just like, Who's a who's a marquee player in their front seven? I mean, we know Grady Jarrett's there, but they don't really have the pass rusher that we talked about, a guy that can come off the edge in big moments or whatever and close a game out or do that. So that's where, you know, you get into a, a Tyree Wilson, the kid from, from Texas Tech as far as a pass rusher there. I would think something along those lines. You got Grady Jarrett. They signed David Onyemata, right, from the New Orleans Saints in free agency. You know, they do have some big people there. Uh, that I, I feel like that has got to be the position to look at more than any others. Um, you know, it, secondary, sure, there's not a safety there. The corner thing can come up a little bit. Uh, but I, I feel like it's it's another team here where I look at a defense to be probably the position of the way to go here. I don't think there's a receiver that you take here yet. They took Drake London in the top 10 last year. They got Kyle Pitts. Their O-line is very good to begin with. So I really expect it to be defense for Atlanta, Mike. Yeah, I think you're probably right. That's where they need to 
to, to beef up the team quietly. The offense is improving. Defensively, it's been an issue. We've seen it falling apart gradually in recent years. Key piece is gone, and no one obviously replacing. Number nine, the Bears. They've got two first-round picks. They moved down, obviously, out of number one. Last year, it was tear it down. This year, it's build it up. They're doing what they can to support Justin Fields. Uh, where do you think they go I, when they're finally on the clock at number nine? O-line seems to be the thing to think of, right, Mike? You know, again, I haven't gotten through, like, uh, edge. I'm, I just started the pass rushers, so I'm just getting there with getting through all that. O-line, I haven't got there, but I know enough about the top guys to know they're the top guys, right? There's a kid from Northwestern um, that I can never say is Skoronsky, Peter Skoronsky, right? He's certainly Paris Johnson, the tackle from from Ohio State, uh, th those are two areas you certainly could look at to go. Uh, they can improve there for sure and, and help out their football team and help out Justin Fields and help out that style of football that we think they're going to play this year. Well, that's right. Look, if you're going to convert Justin Fields into a pocket pass, you need to have enough time to form a pocket so he will hang in there long enough to throw the ball instead of rely upon that incredible running ability that he has. So if he's not abandoning, then he's staying. Right. If you have better blockers, it's simple sometimes. Right. Well, if you have yeah. better blockers, there's a better chance he's going to stay put and not try to take off and run for 50 yards and, again, not extend his career by becoming the pocket passer he needs to be at times in order to be the most effective quarterback he can be. So yeah. I tend to agree with you there. And, hey, that's the first time we've mentioned an offensive line. Right. So right. if their needs are offensive line, they may have the pick of the bunch even at number nine. Last one, number 10. The Eagles are there. They have number 10, and they have number 30 in round one. Um, and, hey, Playing with house but, money here, Mike. I mean, damn. The best team in football has got the 10th pick of the draft. Like, holy crap, lost, Batman. But they've lost some guys. They have, yeah. But they've lost yeah. some guys. Right. So they have needs now. They Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, gone. Javon Hargrave, gone. I mean, this this may – this the, the – thing we talked about earlier with Jalen Carter refusing to meet with any teams out of the top 10 may be the product of a very simple message from Howie Roseman, the GM of the team, the Drew Rosenhaus. If Jalen Carter is there at 10, we are running the card to the podium with his name on it. I, I wouldn't be shocked if that was said. I wouldn't at all. Lost Javon Hargrave in free agency. Start a new thing here. Yeah, we just got to the Super Bowl with Hargrave and Fletcher Cox, right? Now we're going to try to go to Super Bowls with Jordan Davis and, and Jalen Carter. That's what we're going to do, the two Georgia guys in the middle. I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, they could do that. You know, I don't think the DB thing's coming into play here. They kept Darius Slay and, and all that. But here's they, the, 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 the Jalen Carter, a pass rusher, you know, whether, again, it's the Texas Tech kid, the Iowa kid, you know, that we met, uh, Van Ness, right, who looks like Hercules. You know, the Iowa State kid, um, Will McDonald. I could see them going pass rusher, too. Brandon Graham getting up there. Here's the other one I'm going to throw out, though, Mike. Bijan Robinson. I think this is where th this could be a screw you. We'll take the best running back in the draft. And what we look at is to be definitely one of the top 10, 15 players in the draft. And, yeah, it's running back. But, damn, we got an O-line, Jalen Hurts, those two receivers, that tight end. And now we have – Arguably, I mean, he's going to be one of those guys, Bijan Robinson from Texas, where he, as soon as he's in the NFL, he's going to be in the top five running back conversation. He's that special. So that's one where I'll throw it out there just right off the bat and, and go, that could happen there. I'm glad you mentioned Bijan Robinson because in our next segment, we look at your running back draft rankings. I have a feeling Bijan Robinson, number one. He is. We'll take a break <laughs> and we'll continue that conversation when PFT Live continues right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. It's a world record again! Go for the United 
stage. Unbelievable. And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this. How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. Olympics this summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. You're the total package at running back as a football player, but what would you say is the attribute that makes you most difficult for defenses to deal with? Uh, I think, <laughs> I know this is a little different, but I think my silence on the field, um, I don't say a word on the field. And, you know, I think that me just, you know, not talking um, and just being so locked in and, you know, I have guys, you know, trying to, you know, get in my head uh, every single play. And all I do is just look at them and smile and keep walking. Uh, smiley, right? Smile, is your nickname still Smiley? Yes, the nickname still Smiley. Yeah. Bijan Robinson, a.k.a. Smiley. Is he going to be smiling uh, in the first round? Uh, he's the guy who is in Tier 1 along with Jameer Gibbs, A lot of Alabama. Orange there. But Bijan Robinson is the guy. He's the guy, yes. right? Right. He's the one. He's the one. And in an era where, and, uh, you know, we, we talk so much about Austin Eckler trying to get paid. Nobody wants to trade for him. I know. Market at running back six and a quarter million is the top in free agency. The money just isn't there. And do you justify a high pick on a running back? I, I think those days are over, but but we know what a difference maker a great running back can be. Right. We know how good he can be. But a top 10 pick is a lot to expect. We're continuing the conversation we had last segment about the Eagles possibly going Bijan Robinson at number 10. It's the epitome of a luxury pick, but my goodness, it could take a team that's got Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown and Devin Smith and turn it into – uh, one of the best offenses we've ever seen. Exactly. You just go, oh, good luck. I mean, what do you stop? Bijan Robinson's special. You know, I mean, it's just it's he's, he's one of those rare guys that yeah they don't come along that often to where he's definitely one of the top fifteen players in the draft, Mike. There's no doubt about that. You know, when you talk about his movement and then his size along with it, right? It's an easy five eleven. He's just a little south of two hundred and twenty pounds. He's got feet and quickness though that are, you know, through the you know, through the roof good. Like he can shake you and break your ankles like Barry Sanders, or he can, you know, run a million miles per hour this way, cut at full speed and go the other way. He's great in the pass game. You know, a guy he reminded me of I wrote a name and I wrote holy sh dot dot next to it because I was like it, it's it's Ladanian Tomlinson ish. You know, it's a guy that you look at and go, he could have a thousand yards rushing and have a thousand yards receiving. He's that type of football player. He is definitely first round worthy. The question is, is just does he go in the top fifteen? Or does it go into more like, hey, we're scared to take a running back with all the things you talked about, and we'll does he fall into the twenties? And then the guy Jameer Gibbs, I just that's why I put him in he's not as good as B. John Robinson, but the only difference is really the size, the power element maybe. But Jameer, Jameer Gibbs from Alabama, Mike, I want to make it sure and clear. He is a first-round draft pick. He is special. He has three rockets up his ass, just like Bijan Robinson. He's just a little smaller and quickness-based that way. But both are phenomenal. But Robinson is a, yeah, a special guy that because of his size, too, you feel like he can last the test of time a little bit longer than you know a guy like Jameer Gibbs. It really is just a hell of a conundrum for these teams because you have to balance out, okay, what am I getting if I invest a first-round pick? Yep. What could I get with these other guys that are out there that can come in and play? Every major college has a guy who I think could play running back at the NFL level. If you can trust him to hold on to the football, if you can trust him to pick up blitzers, and if you can block for him. Yep. There are guys out there. The supply outweighs the demand. Are these guys in Tier 1? Jameer Gibbs and B. John Robinson, are they so good that they separate from the pack? And there is value. Here's the value in using a first-round pick on a running back. You control his rights for five That's years. That's right. That's the big thing. You don't have to worry about paying him again until year six, and you can tag him like the, like the Giants have done with Saquon Barkley. Right. Tag him for year six. Tag him for year seven, and then thank him for everything in year eight and let him become a free agent at a time when th there's no tread left on the tires. That's one of the problems, and this is one of the inherent inequities for running backs in the current system of paying rookies 
You do your best work before you ever get a shot at getting paid for the work you're doing. The best years of Bijan Robinson's career may be when he's slotted in this rookie contract, wherever it falls. It's still not the kind of money he's going to deserve, Chris, if he has the impact that you think he can have. No, you're right. It's going to be probably screwed over regardless, right? I mean, that's the way it works. It does. But I think, you know, what you said, there's the value of that that whole scenario you talked about, to have that fifth-year option and then make it go into a sixth year that way, right? And I think we got to the, – the thought process of these guys has to be adjusted anyways. You know, again, the money is not that big to where – you know, it's a four or five year rental. You know, we I think too many times right now when I hear conversations about these running backs, people talk about it like it's a thing seven and eight years down the road. And you know, you're explaining it the right way. No, it's not. It's four years, and let's see if he's still good and still got tread on the tire, and then we'll figure it out from there, right? But four years is forever in the NFL, so that's where I wouldn't worry about it as much. Maybe you know, especially if I was a team that goes, wait, we got a lot of the pieces, and this guy's special. Right, that's where I would think it. I mean, hey, they might think of Jameer Gibbs at what? What's the other pick they got? Thirty. They could think of that then there too. Now let me just explain, Jameer. I said this guy is like could be Ladanian Tomlinson and Bijan Robinson. Jameer Gibbs is like the name I wrote down was Christian McCaffrey. I mean, he's he's just the same build. He's three pounds lighter. He runs with better power than his two hundred pound frame would explain. He could play receiver in the NFL just like McCaffrey. He's that good of a route runner, Mike. So those are two guys that I expect to go in the first round. There's no doubt they're first-round talents. It's just about the running back value, as you you described uh, quite well. Well, and that really is what it comes down to, that balance, because you can get a guy in any round, in every round, or in no round whatsoever, undrafted. You can go out and find yourself a great running back. Let's talk about the other Texas guy, Rashawn Johnson. You've got him in Tier 2 as your number 3 guy. Where do you think he lands, and what drew you to him? Well, he's, you know, one, he's big, right? He's six foot, he's 220, he's square shoulders, and... Like the straightaway ability to accelerate and hit the hole, Mike, it's actually right up there with Gibbs and, and Bijan Robinson. Now, it's the other stuff that's not quite. He doesn't have the quickness. He doesn't quite have the top-end speed that those guys have. He's a little bit more of a car crash runner than those other two guys, too. And I should have brought that up for maybe being part of the reason they last longer, right? But Roshan is a little bit more, no, hits the hole a million miles per hour. And, oh, you're in the hole? If he can maybe just do a little quick feet and go, he'll go. But more than likely, he's going to lower his shoulder and run your ass over. And he's the kind of guy that's going to wear on you. And it's going to be a lot of 10 and 15 and 12 great 12 yard runs that are great that way, Mike. I, 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 do, I think he's, he's a top 50 pick for me. You know, I know a lot of people go, well, how could he be the backup and whatever? He's a starting college running back. I don't know. How did Ricky Williams back up Priest Holmes at Texas for a year? How did Trent Richardson back up Mark Ingram, right? It happens at these these big-time powerhouse schools. So he's unfortunately was stuck behind an awesome, awesome talent, but this guy's an awesome talent as well, and I do think he goes in that first half of the second round. All right, we're going to take a break. When we return, a team has reportedly made an offer to Odo Beckham Jr. The name of the team may surprise you. We'll give you the latest when PFT Live continues right after this. Odo Beckham Jr. is still looking for his next team. The Ravens reportedly have offered him a contract. Now, look. Does that mean the Ravens are the only team that's offered him a contract? No. The Ravens are the first ones we know about. Surely the Jets have offered him something. Surely other teams have offered him something. The question is, who's going to offer him what he wants? And when I saw this leaked, Chris, my, my thought was, it's the Ravens. Somehow it's tied into Lamar Jackson. All roads lead back to Lamar. Is this about placating Lamar? Is it about making him think that they're willing to do the things necessary to make the team better? Whatever the case may be, Offering OBJ a contract is a very, very, very small piece of the puzzle. Offering a contract he would accept, that's the key, and no one's done it yet. No, I, I agreed. It, it, is, it is one of those, Mike, where you're like, wait, what, what is this exactly? That, that's what I asked myself. I was like, what is this? Is this OBJ in his camp put this out here to strike up some interest and get something going in that department? Or... Yeah, like you kind of said, that was where my mind went next. Is this, you know, 
hey, Lamar, we're helping you out. Look, we're getting OBJ here. Come on, this is going to work. This will be okay. You know, what exactly is it? But but my point, too, is also in the what is department is OBJ for him is like, well, what do you expect him to do here at this point, too? That's another part of it where I go, I mean, I can't imagine he's just going to sign on with the Ravens and not know what Lamar Jackson's going to do first. He's not going to go, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm coming to the Ravens and play with you. Uh, who's your quarterback? Oh, you don't know yet? Oh, yeah, that's what I want to do to set up the rest of my career. Sure, right? So that's where there's a lot of what is going on here in that department that uh, I'm not sure exactly what is going on. It's almost like putting it out there if the Ravens put it out there, and I would bet that they did, not Beckham's camp. It's to put everyone's mind at ease because the question that's come up recently is, Lamar Jackson has the leverage over you, so what are you going to do without him? What are you going to do at quarterback? What is your plan at quarterback? Unless and until you have Lamar under contract, you don't have a quarterback. You don't have a plan. Pursuing Odell Beckham Jr. implicitly tells the world we have a plan because why would we need this guy if we didn't have a plan? Of course we have a plan, whether it involves Lamar Jackson or someone else. The whole thing was just weird because anyone can offer the guy a contract. The issue isn't whether or not teams are interested. The issue is whether or not teams are interested at the level he's at. And again, I'm not one to turn up my nose at news during a a time on the calendar where it's not as active as it's been. But this, without context analysis and scrutiny, makes no sense. So that's part of what we do. We supply the context, the analysis, and the scrutiny. It just makes no sense. It makes no sense. Well, yes, it doesn't. There's a lot of questions, like you said. Yeah, it is. Okay, let's take a break. Aaron Rodgers leaving Green Bay just in time for some new receivers to be added to the team. With or without Rodgers, they need receivers anyway. We'll talk about that next. They'll probably draft one in the first round now. Get used to seeing this, Packers fans. A quarterback working out with one of his weapons away from the requirements of the CBA. That's Jordan Love getting acquainted better with Aaron Jones as they get ready for their first season working together. Obviously, Jordan Love is going to be the quarterback. Who's going to be catching the passes? Matt LaFleur, coach of the Packers, said last week at the league meetings, we need some veteran leadership in the receiver room. They only have five guys currently under contract. Alan Lazard gone. Randall Cobb is gone and not coming back. It's young guys. There aren't a lot of guys out there, though, that you can just go sign in free agency. I made a list yesterday. Odo Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, Julio Jones, Kenny Galladay, T.Y. Hilton were the names that stood out to me. They could get Corey Davis from the Jets maybe as part of this trade, but it's not like competent, high-end veteran receivers are just hanging around, Chris. No, they're, they're, they're not. You're right. It, it's, it, and again, I, I think they know who's going to be their main guys, Christian Watson, Romeo Daubs, right? But they need guys, you know, they want a guy that, hey, one, for insurance policy at depth, but two, yeah, those are still young guys that are learning their ways, and there's no Alan Lazard or Randall Cobb to, hey, when a team plays like this, do this, or you know, you need to learn to run the route this way. So that's why they want the veteran leadership. I could certainly see Jarvis Landry being a guy that they bring in at some point and fill in that role, and he could play the slot and you know be the veteran leader that way. It makes sense. Uh, they definitely got to add to that position. That's for sure. By the way, we're even now. You said Romeo Dobbs instead of Dobbs. I said Devin Smith earlier about. Eagles receiver Devontae Smith like a dumbass. And yeah. it's coming out of my mouth. It's like something doesn't sound yeah, right. Yeah, no, I didn't here. want to correct I'm you. I'm glad I got a chance. Right. I, well, but see, I have no qualms about correcting you, especially because I was looking for an opening to go back and say, I acknowledge that I screwed up Devin Smith. It's Devontae Smith. But we we, we know what you mean. To get, to get, yeah, you know who we mean. All right, let's take a break. When we return, the most, the most uh, dominant playoff runs in NFL history in honor of the UConn Basketball Championship. We'll do that next year on PFT Live. There's Aaron Jones. For two straight segments, Aaron Jones gets into the video to start the discussion. How did this happen? Tristan Newton plays for the University of Connecticut. His cousin Tristan Newton plays Sorry. for the University of Connecticut. <laughs> so you. there's Aaron Jones. Uh, <laughs> Pete explained it to us during the break. I didn't you listen. You listen to Pete even less than I do. Yes, that's All right. right. Uh, so in honor of the UConn men's basketball team winning in dominant fashion, double digits, I think, every game. Is that yeah, right? Did they yeah. by double digits yeah, every single game? Yeah, at least 13 game? every at game. At least 13. Right. Wow. Okay. The most dominant NFL playoff runs ever. Chris, you're up. Well, the one that jumped out to my mind right when I thought about this and just it was, you know, prime childhood is the 1989 49ers, right? 
you know, the of course the 49ers, I couldn't stand them growing up and they made me cry more times than not because they were beating the Giants or whatever else. But uh, 89, I mean, the divisional, you know, first off, they had just won the Super Bowl in 88. 89, they whooped the crap out of, as usual, loss, playoff loss for the Vikings, okay? Then they beat the Rams 30-3, to right? And then go to the Super Bowl and just absolutely obliterate John Elway and the Broncos 55 to 10. That that is like you know, I don't remember them even breaking a sweat in that playoffs. So that that to me would be the one where that really stands out the most as dominating in the playoffs. I remember settling in for that Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, Law right. School, great menu, right? <laughs> Everything's ready. This is going to be a great oh, day. Game's just, over. Oh, why am I here? <laughs> right. Uh I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know how you could skip over the 85 Bears. I think that was the most dominant postseason run we've ever seen in any sport. They beat the Giants 21-0. They beat the Rams 24-0. That video of Wilbur Marshall yep. with the snow, you know. And then and they should have they should have shut out the Patriots 46 to 10. I remember there was like a little bit of time during Super Bowl 20 where it's like, "Hey, maybe the Patriots with Steve Grogan and his and his horse collar and the old Pat Patriot helmet, maybe they'll give him a game." No, no, no. 46 to 10. So, 10 total points allowed in 3 games by the Bears. It's still astounding to me they only ever won one Super Bowl with that team. Yeah, it it is. It is pretty astounding. They, you know, they couldn't beat the Washington Redskins at the time. You know, that was the 87, 88. They got upset by them in the playoffs. They would have lost in 86 to the Giants anyway, so it doesn't matter. It does not matter. <laughs> um, but yeah, damn, that team was really good. They really were and uh they whooped some people's butt. All right. The I I'm mm, I think I'm going to go here to I'm I'm gonna go back to the 49ers. I'm gonna go to the 1984 wow. 49ers. Yep, I don't give a damn. I'm wow. just going with the teams that I remember being the most dominant. Or you know, I don't necessarily remember this one, but I'm a big NFL films watcher type of guy. 84. I know one. This they stick to me with this way. My dad and he always talks about the 1984 49ers defense. It might have not been the 1985 Bears, but it was damn close. So that's why it sticks out in my brain as well. Let alone. They whooped the crap out of the Giants 21 to 10. They whooped the crap out of the Bears 23 nothing in the NFC Championship game and then whooped the crap out of Dan Marino and the Dolphins in the Super Bowl 38 to 16. So that's one there. And of course they were 15 and 1 along the way. I'm going to I'm going to throw them in there. I remember I couldn't wait for that Super Bowl. I remember the hype, Joe Montana versus yeah, Dan Marino. Right? This is going to be great. This is going to be great. And it was another <laughs> one where I was like, all right. Uh, I, how are you skipping over your dad's team? Well, I you're not supposed to take dad, them. You're supposed to leave them for me. I'm no, I've left them for you twice now. You think I'm going to leave them to round three? The 1986 I didn't Giants. think you would take them. They, no, they beat the 49ers, the dominant 49ers, 49-3. They embarrassed the 49ers, shut out Washington. And even though they were down 10-9 to at halftime against the Denver Broncos, they won that game 39-20. to So, yeah, the Giants, and it just felt preordained all year long that the Giants were going to win the Super Bowl ever from the the moment that they they had the the fourth and long play against the Vikings. Yeah, yeah. Like they were the team of destiny. We're destined to take a break. Round three when PFT Live continues right after this. Two rounds down, one to go there with the pick so far. The most dominant playoff runs in honor of the UConn men's basketball team, which won every game by at least 13 points en route to the championship last night. Chris, who do you have in round three? Yeah, this, this, is, uh, this is tough. 83 Raiders have come to my mind, but I'm going to go to one that I just thought was – I remember feeling at the time it was inevitable. Like, it's inevitable they're going to go through the playoffs and win the Super Bowl, and you just can somebody come close? You know, and it always goes back to your Vikings are part of the story of screwing it up. So that's why I like it too. The 1998 Broncos, you know, when they didn't have to play the Vikings in the Super Bowl, it just it felt inevitable. One, what they win the divisional game, 38 to three against the Dolphins. Ugly game against the Jets, 23 to 10, but dominate throughout, and then dominate the Super Bowl, win 34 19. I'm going to go with the 98 Broncos. 
I'm going to throw the 2,000 Ravens out there just because yeah. they're the only yeah. ones who did it with four games, and they allowed one offensive touchdown in four games. It's amazing. 21-3 over the Broncos, 24-10 over the Titans, 16-3 over the Raiders, and then 34-7 over the Giants, uh, and none of those games. None of those games were even close. The scores won't say – I mean, even the ones that look ah, – yeah, kind of, no, no, yeah. no, no team had a chance against the Ravens that <laughs> right, year. Right. No team had a chance. Yeah, it was, uh, it was amazing. They were different than any of the teams we talked about here. They're like the 85 Bears, where you were just like, are they going to physically abuse every team they play and just beat you into the ground? All right, that's it. Thanks for some of your time. We'll be back with two more hours tomorrow. Check us out around the clock at profootballtalk.com. Have a great day. See ya. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.